Let's stand open our Bibles to Mark chapter 14 tonight. Mark 14. We're looking as we go through the book of Mark here. Last few moments of the life of Christ on the earth at some of the more unknown characters here seen in and around the story of the crucifixion. I want to preach tonight on two men, two suppositions. Mark 14, we'll read verse 51 and 52. And there followed him a certain young man, having a linen cloth cast about his naked, cast about his naked body, and the young men laid hold on him. And he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Now, as we go through a book of the Bible, we don't do it like Brother Knox does. We don't do it like Brother Brent Logan does. We do the Adam Thompson style. And as the Spirit of God speaks, we may spend two months in a passage. We may spend one service in a passage. But normally there are times, maybe a few verses might be skipped over. It's just not the theme or the need of the hour. It's not something the Holy Spirit of God is pressing on my heart. But tonight we go through the book of Mark. Uh, these are two verses we would normally just skip over, especially concerning the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. But since we're highlighting uh, the lesser known people that were present during his crucifixion, uh, I believe it's very important tonight to mention this young man, the Bible says there followed him a certain young man having a linen cloth cast about his naked body. Now, here's what we do know. This young man had a reason to be there. You don't show up with a linen cloth on accident. There was an emergency situation. You were, it, Mark is making it obvious that he was a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I think also the placement is interesting because you have right now the Garden of Gethsemane and uh, you sandwich in between here Peter denying the Lord Jesus Christ, his arrest, and uh, his trial in the middle of the night. So what you don't see is this story or this mentioned in the other Gospels. After a little study, I think I would come to the same conclusion that others have come to most likely the Holy Spirit of God. We understand inspiration. We do understand that literally the Spirit of God took over the hearts and the minds and the hands of these men as they wrote the Word of God. And there's no way they could misspeak, misspell, misquote, or misstate anything in their writings. How many of you understand that? And on purpose, the Holy Spirit of God guided Mark to include these verses. But I would come to the conclusion that this was actually the young man Mark himself. Now, when we think of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we, we just think of the gospel, we think of contemporaries, same age, same experiences, as just simply not the case. Mark was a young man during the life of Christ uh, who knew the disciples. The Bible makes it clear that uh, his mother, go with me to Acts chapter 12 for just a moment, that uh, Mark came from a wealthy background, his mother Mary was a woman that was well known. We don't know anything of his father, but well known in the early church. Look what it says in Acts 12, 12. And when he had considered the thing, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of 
John, whose surname was Mark. We're talking about John Mark, who wrote the book of Mark, where many were gathered together praying. They had a large house. They had servants. She held a place of prominence. This house was being used. Now go back with me to Mark for just a moment. I told you our subject tonight is two men, two suppositions. I normally would not tell you of something I am supposing from the pulpit. I believe tonight it might be appropriate. Uh, Supposing because I believe the Holy Spirit gives us no option but to believe this was included to understand a little bit more about young John Mark. And uh, look what it says in Mark chapter 14, verse 12. The first day of the unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples said to him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat of the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go ye into the city. There shall meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him, and wheresoever he shall go in, say to the good men of the house, The master saith, Where is the guest chamber? Where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples. And he will show you a large upper room furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. And his disciples went forth, came to the city, found as he had said to them, and they made ready the Passover. Now, most that I studied after would believe that this was most likely the house of Mary, John Mark's dwelling place, a nice place, someone that was already followed the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, once again, we're making a supposition But for someone to have a room prepared, I believe God can use a total stranger. Obviously, that's not beyond his capabilities. It's more likely that he would use someone that he knows, a house that he knows, and someone that they might be able to be familiar with to follow. Whatever the case, it would definitely make sense if this were the place where they had the Last Supper. This was John Mark's house. A linen cloth was a a linen sheet. This was material that was owned by the wealthier. Obviously, he came from that kind of family. And if Judas had come, here they are at the Lord's Supper. If Judas left and thought he could bring the crowd quickly enough to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ, but Christ had already gone. And if Judas showed up, John Mark, now once again, we're supposing, if this young man sees Judas a crowd and is concerned for the Lord Jesus Christ and his safety in a hurry. If some young man is wearing a sheet in the middle of the night following the Lord Jesus Christ, it's because there was urgency, trepidation. He is jumping out in the middle of the night, wrapping himself and saying, I am needed, I better run and see what I can do. If it was someone following the Lord Jesus Christ, I think we could suppose possibly... It was Mark, but the scripture would lead us to believe, the writer would lead us to believe, the Holy Spirit would lead us to believe that this is an eyewitness. None of the other gospels included. John Mark identifies a young man. He doesn't put his name in there. The Holy Spirit of God safeguards his name from early church history. Amen? But maybe some of them supposed as well. I would guess that the disciples might have known. But whatever the case, he's there 
I don't see him as a coward. I see him as someone brave. The previous verse, speaking of the disciples, said they all forsook him and fled. We know that Christ had told them, you all be offended in me because of me this night. And they were, and they fled. And I believe this young man, most likely John Mark, was going with the thought, maybe I can forewarn Christ, maybe Maybe I can help him escape. Maybe there's something I can do. And when caught up in this scene and his linen sheet was grabbed, he did what he thought was best to do, run. He just wasn't able to run with the sheet. He ran fast. He ran well. He just didn't run covered. Now, here's what we know. Go back with me then. Acts for a minute. Mark wasn't just from a wealthy background. He was from a spiritually privileged background. Uh, We know he was a son of Mary who was prominent there in the early church. Uh, He was a relative of Barnabas, either a nephew or a cousin. And Peter, you know what, let's go to 1 Peter 5 first, then we'll go to Acts 12. Peter calls him a son of the faith. Now, there are... Many that I personally believe are misspeaking, but they say uh, John Mark didn't see everything the disciples saw, which is obviously accurate. But it was Peter who informed him what to write concerning the gospel. We know that's wrong. Peter didn't need to inform him. The Holy Spirit would inform him. That's called inspiration. Amen. He didn't need Peter's guidance. First Peter 5, 13, look what the Bible says. The church that is in Babylon, elected together with you, saluteth you, and so doeth Marcus, my son. Now, to be referred to as the Apostle Peter's son meant there was a closeness there, there was a love there. I personally believe John Mark was well-liked and loved despite his failure, which we all recognize, and we are tremendous at highlighting people's failures. I mean, we take the spotlight and we just shine it right down. Where did he fall? Just put it right there. Let's record it, highlight it, speak about it, make sure no one ever forgets that failure with a capital F. Amen? Go with me back to Acts chapter 12, but let's just remember for a moment In his young life, the Bible says, Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and took with them John, whose surname was Mark. Now, if these two men, spiritual leaders, about ready to make the first trip, missions trip, missions endeavor, church planning endeavor that we know of, For them to choose John Mark means he was respected as a young man. Barnabas was an encourager. He may have leaned towards the fact that he was a relative. But in Paul's case, he liked the boy initially. Now look what it says, Acts 13, 13, We know what happened. He gets out there. He has spiritual stars in his eyes. The next thing you know, they have an encounter with the sorcerer and a bad boat ride. He probably got sick and he's, he was taken to minister to them and he, uh, he hadn't been out there long and decided, 
this is not really my calling. And it wasn't. Now, here's what you got to remember. There are men that are called to specific tasks, and God endues them, empowers them, spiritually positions them, uniquely qualifies them. And if you don't share that calling, here's why you need to pray for the wife. The wives do not share that same calling. They chose many wives, chose the man before he was ever called. Now, they'll get burdened. God can direct there. We understand all those things. God does not uniquely call the woman as he uniquely calls a man. So that woman has to partner with that man. And in Timothy, the Bible says, so must the wife, what? Be. Now, I know there's a lot of debates concerning the subject. I, I, I can't give you a hundred examples. I can give you hundreds of examples. And here's why you pray for the wife. I've watched women travel around the world and struggle because a man doesn't understand she does not share the same calling, so she needs specific attention from that husband to accommodate her unique circumstance and strengthen her to partner with him in this endeavor. And if a man is ignorant of that, it's going to create chaos wherever he goes. But I don't believe John Mark shared the same calling. So he travels for a little while, and decides he is done with his duty concerning this journey, and he jumps ship. Now, there are a lot of opinions concerning John Mark. I have personal opinion, high respect for the young man. Obviously, God did too. And eventually, Paul did too. Barnabas always did. Here's what I've seen in working with young men. You can't expect young men to have the tenacity in the character of aged men. You can't expect to send a young man on a missions trip with an aged missionary and think that everything's going to be done wisely, properly, coherently, appropriately. And in this case, Paul was a diehard. He was a Green Beret. Can you imagine? I, I truly admired Timothy, I can't imagine anybody traveling with the Apostle Paul and surviving it very well. Have you guys read anything about the life of Paul? Beaten and stoned and jailed and thrown out of cities and his, his life was upside down, working at night, making tents, preaching all day long. Uh, a man with a motor that insisted on, on working 20-hour days. And when you're sleeping, we're not talking about hotels. We're not even talking about Motel 6. We're talking about under trees and outside in different people's houses. And what a life. And John Mark tapped out early. And guess what? You would have too. I know because I've used some of you and I didn't treat you like Paul treated John Mark. And you've tapped out. Now, when Paul and his company lose from Paphos, they came to Pergam, Pamphylia. John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. He said, you know what? I think my place is actually Jerusalem. And we should never be surprised when someone is sent that is not called that returns. And we need to help find their calling. Sometimes people are misplaced. And in this case, 
uh, he goes. We know what happened later on. There was a fight that took place, Acts 15, verse 36. And some days after Paul said to Barnabas, let us go again, visit our brother in every city that we have preached the word of the Lord to and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with him John. He still loved John. He still respected John. John had continued to grow. He didn't go home and quit. He didn't go home and stop soul winning. He went home and got busier than ever. And when Barnabas came back into town, he said, this man has grown. Everybody still speaks highly of him. I think I want him to repartner with us. But Paul, verse 38, thought not good to take the boy with him. He had already fled naked. He had already jumped ship. <laughs> Who departed from them from Pamphylia went not with them to the work. The contention was so sharp between them that they departed at center one from the other. So Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas. Say, Pastor, who was right? Both. Clearly, you can have an argument, and both people be right. And God used the argument to make two teams instead of one. It's what they do down in the South. You know, if a church hits 100, you just split it and make two churches. That's how most church planning took place in Georgia and South Carolina and North Carolina. Tennessee, amen, see Baptist church on every corner and find out has the same grandfather. <laughs> so we need to loosen up a little bit tonight. You're about as tense as Barnabas was in this situation. Whatever the case, Barney was right because he ended up being a great servant of the Lord and Paul later on says, send me Mark because he's profitable for me to the ministry. So there are a lot of lessons here. If this was John Mark that night wrapped in a satin sheet, which I believe it was, trying to do the right thing, a young man risking his life while the disciples had fled. I believe that the Bible's given us the inference that here's a young man trying to do the right thing. And you would have done the same thing. Soldiers, Christ is being... Uh, accused, he's going to go on trial. People are wanting to see someone killed. You'd at least say, I need to run home and at least get close. Right? right? And you need to understand something about nakedness in the Bible. God does not refer to nakedness as we do. You know what God says repeatedly in the scripture? If you're not properly clothed, you're naked. I don't believe he was naked the way we refer to it. But undergarments, a sheet on top, it was a cold night. Peter's warming himself by the fire. And this poor boy's running around with a satin sheet. And then he's running around without a satin sheet. <laughs> but here's what we know. He grew. He grew into what he was supposed to be. And young man, guess what we expect you to be? Not what you should be in 10 years or 15 or 20 years, but growing towards that destination God help us to be patient. God help us to be wise in our guidance. Uh, God help us to be understanding when there's an occasional misstep or a fall or something done that was absolutely stupid. Because that too will happen. But Lord have mercy on us that we 
become more like Barnabas and say, you know what, there are times we need to be patient and pick people up and understand just because they're not equipped for every ministry doesn't mean they're not equipped for any ministry. There's a place for people to serve even if they can't serve with the Apostle Paul. Some people need to serve alongside a Barnabas where they can be encouraged. And it was a good thing that Paul didn't take John Mark because I think John Mark would have quit a second time. And it probably would have hurt him spiritually. He needed a different style of individual personal attention and leadership in his life that instead of uh, being that demanding, uh, would, you know, encourage and pamper. And he needed a, someone like Kim Thompson in his life instead of Adam Thompson in his life. Amen? And this, that time, it was Paul and Barney, and in this time, there is Adam and Barney. <laughs> My wife, Barney, the encourager. And I thank God for that. Because everybody needs a different style. And in the end, here's what we see. He grew uh, into some responsibilities and leadership. Here's what we have to remember. Patience as we grow people into responsibilities. There will be failures. There will be disappointments. There will be frustrations. There will be times when they have good intentions. You find them running around in a sheet. And they're trying to do the right thing. Amen. They need to grow over some things. You get past some disappointments, get past some frustrations, get past some uh, stupid moments. Amen. Grow up into some things. And young men, young ladies, that's our goal. To help you get there. And here's what God did. God put the right support team around him. And eventually he was used to write 16 chapters of Holy Scripture. Travel with Paul. Travel with Barnabas. Be used by the early church. And end up being called a son to the apostle Peter. That's a pretty good spot to be. So we find this young man with a rough beginning, but a pretty good ending. But I am just supposing and believing this was most likely the young John Mark. Now, let's go to chapter 15. Let's see one more person. We mentioned him briefly this morning. Verse 21, Mark 15, 21. And they compel one Simon, a Cyrenian, who passed by coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. Now, I don't want to go to Luke. We read it this, this morning, but I believe God gives us clues by way of names, and I do not believe God ever accidentally throws around names in Scripture. Any name in Scripture is given to the early church so people are identified Workers, servants, friends are identified. And when you see a verse in Scripture where it speaks specifically of his boys, Alexander Rufus, I think God's letting us know. Uh, If these were not boys known by the early church, no reason to put their names in there. That's not the way Scripture works. That's not the way God works through his work. But here's what we see. This man from uh, northern Africa comes to Jerusalem during the time of the Passover. 
Whatever the case that draws him there to the Lord Jesus Christ, at this moment going down this road carrying his cross, he'll come to regret because curiosity is going to put him in a bad spot and the next thing you know, he's carrying another man's cross. I guarantee you this, no one here wants to find themselves in that spot. No one here wants to have their life interrupted on that level. Why do I have to suffer because this is not my cross, this is not my sin, this is not my duty, this is not my country. Everything here seemed unjust and unfair, right? The Roman rule was unfair. If he was coming to celebrate the Passover, he's going to be introduced to the true meaning of the Passover. He's going to meet the very sinless Son of God, the Lamb of God, whose blood was going to be perfect, sinless blood, slain for the sins of man, shed to redeem us from our sin. He's going to be introduced to that. But that was not his intention. But he comes and incredibly, is he standing and watching, whether it's a centurion, one of the soldiers, motion. I guarantee you he's trying to become invisible. But it's impossible to hide because of his physique. I think personally he was chosen because of his proximity, his color, and his physique. And there he is. You, sir, come carry this cross. And he goes to pick it up. Now, what is going through his mind as he picks up this cross and begins to carry it towards Golgotha? What just happened? How did this just happen to me? Why did I have to be so curious? I wonder if he even turns in anger, not just at the soldiers, but at the Christ, saying, this is your load. This is not my problem. He'll come to realize that God is actually smiling on him. God has placed this burden on him that will do an incredible work in his heart and forever change his life. And here's what we've got to understand. There's There's a great lesson here in the fact that at some point in our lives, God is going to do things we don't understand. And the interruption is so sudden and so drastic our immediate reaction is either going to be anger, frustration, bitterness, doubt. God, why did you do that to me? That, that sickness, that disease, you took that person out of my life. You, Lord, what? You, you just took my job just like that. You just, and here's what happens. If you study this book, you might be surprised that every one of your heroes in Scripture found themselves in the same spot with the divine, drastic, heavenly interruption. And Joseph finds himself in a pit. This is a bad day. I'm sold to Egypt. This has ruined my life. Oh, actually not. God's just putting everything in place, and you don't realize it because you're going to save this people from starvation and ultimately your family. And be reconciled to your father. You're just not going to like the trail that you have to take to get there. And Moses, you're going to not like the interruption of 40 years on the backside of the desert. And you guys understand. Whether that was Mary with the news that she is with child. And you want to talk about a life that is drastically interrupted. But if you look at the servants of God that are most greatly used, 
They were used after the interruption. Kim and I knew John Bishop. I heard him preach for years. When Brother St. Pierre and Steve and I were in Bible college, he came through and preached revivals there at Windsor Hills and Oklahoma Baptist College. And I'll be honest with you, either I was in a terrible spiritual state or his preaching was pretty normal. And then he nearly died and suffered through meningitis and had to learn how to rewrite and re-speak and re-walk and endured extreme pain. And the power of God fell on that man. And suddenly he was traveling around the nation helping those with the worst kind of affliction you can imagine, encouraging believers, helping preachers. You know when that took place? After the cross and after the interruption and after the confusion and after the frustration. You look at Tom Williams and the power of God on that man and God's allowed us to travel together and it's just he has a special touch everywhere he goes. You know when that happened? When a wife is visiting with him, Israel and the holy sites, and she comes down with meningitis as well and ends up basically a vegetable for a large portion of her life. And a man's world is turned upside down. And here's what we have to do in life. Understand the sovereignty of God and our ability to trust him by faith, because here's what's going to happen. Go with me to Acts 13. Here's the problem. Our plans rarely coincide with God's plans. So what if God didn't interrupt? We would be doing our own thing. You know what God did for us when we were in Argentina? He gave us a daughter with heart problems. And he resituated us in Mexico. And you know what God did for us after nine years in Mexico? He jerked us by the collar and brought us to Austin, Texas. Those are called the interruptions. You're not in agreement with those at the moment. You're confused and possibly frustrated. But you look back over time and say, okay, now I can see what God was doing. But at the moment, it's really difficult to see what God was doing. Acts chapter 13, verse 1. Now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as Barnabas and Simeon that was called Niger and Lucius of Cyrene. Now here's what I believe. Once again, I don't believe God throws around names by accident. I believe there's a good chance right there in the church of Antioch that this man who had taken up the cross and bore it for the Lord Jesus Christ, the impact was life-changing and here he ends up, most likely, as a leader, one of the leaders at the church at Antioch. Now, wherever he went, whatever he ended up doing, once again, uh, I've told you, I, this is a supposition. Go with me to Romans chapter 16. The Bible speaks of his son Rufus, a very uh, rarely used name. But one we see in Romans 16, verse 13. And what's Paul say to the church here at Rome? Salute who? Rufus. Here's why I believe God chose to write the names of those two boys in Scripture. So we could connect the dots. So the early church would know 
Rufus, that man that has worked and helped the church at Rome, that was his daddy that picked up that cross. Now, with God, there are no coincidences. And here's a weekend, imagine we have one here recently. Now that you went over to Trinidad with a group, and she was able to meet a young lady named Genesis and win her to Christ. And wouldn't you know, three years later, their paths cross, and Genesis, who was from Venezuela, and Nadia, who was from Texas, met in Trinidad for her to get saved, meet three years later in the same apartment complex in the same city. All right. That is a coincidence, right? That's called a divine appointment. That's a sovereign God that oversees the affairs of men and loves the souls of men. Amen? And here's what I believe. There was Simon. We would say poor Simon. Oh, no. No, when God interrupts and God places a cross, there's no poor to it. This is God's divine hand and God's divine plan and God's divine blessing. And something good is going to result out of this. And I believe God gave us a little window into Scripture. He ends up helping a church in Antioch. His son ends up helping a church in Rome. Now look what it says the rest of the verse. Verse 13. Salute Rufus, chosen Lord, and his mother and mine. Now wouldn't it be amazing? Paul, we know, uh, after his conversion, didn't have any family that would associate with him. He's a lone ranger and a lone stranger, except for the church body. His best friends, I, because of Argentina, Mexico, and now the Spanish church, English church isn't like this. And David and Kathy Keller have been like second parents to me, to others in the church. Thank God for the spiritual family that we have. But Hispanics are very loving. They're not quite like white folk. Very different in their culture. And in our Spanish church, although we just started eight years ago, I already have several ladies in the church that are very near and dear to us, almost mother-like figures. And it's a problem to go visit them because I'm going to get stuck. And you're going to stay there till the food is made. And it doesn't matter if it's tamales and it takes five hours. You're going to stay there till the food is made and the plate is on the table. And they want to have an extended conversation and spend time together. And you thank God for that. But here's what Paul is referring to with Rufus. He said, your mother is a woman that's just like she's my mom. Now, wouldn't it be amazing to think that God placed a cross on a man from a different country, ended up being used in a church, sons being used in a church ministry, and that wife being a mother figure to the apostle Paul. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be amazing if God had orchestrated that? Now, here's what we did tonight. In the surroundings concerning the cross, we bring up two men that God doesn't distinguish, distinguish clearly exactly who they were or what happened. But he gives us a little window to look into their lives. And here's what I'm convinced of. In the man with the sheep, I'm 100% convinced this was John Mark. And here's what we need to do. A couple of short lessons. Any of you that are helping, 
with the young men and the training of young men in this church. Think back to what you were, 17, 18. Every time I want to be frustrated with a 23-year-old missionary, I look back and say, you were 23. And there were pastors in churches that were crazy enough to take you on. Not that you offered them any hope. They were just crazy enough and had the money to invest in you. And about the time, I want to get frustrated at the failure of a 17-year-old high schooler. I got to say, I was 17. I want to get frustrated with a 21-year-old college student. I got to remember, you were once a college student making the same mistakes. And then I got to remember to not speak to you like Dr. Vineyard spoke to me. (laughs) Here's what happened. In all of this, God's purpose was reaching the world with the gospel. But God always has bigger purposes, and God's always focused on the individual. And here's what we have to do. Although we're focused on the bigger picture, you've got to remember, God is using you in the lives of individuals. And God, through his son, was saying, I want to touch the life of Barabbas. I want to touch the life of the centurion. I want to touch the life of Simon. I want to touch the life of John Mark. And on this trip, I want to touch the life of that other thief that's hanging there. And here's what you're seeing over the course of this 24-hour period. Christ was individually touching lives while his own life was being taken. 